0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, Majestic's Old Guard, New Blood episode. I'm sorry, David, what what episode number is it? Episode
1: 17.
0: <laughs> we've been here for, for over a year now doing this stuff, uh, nearly, nearly 18 months. Um, and uh, we've got a, a fantastic lineup. We've got an extra person on today. Uh, and that's partly because I'm... Uh, actually, I didn't even know if I was going to make it on here today. Uh, I've uh, I'm moving house tomorrow. So uh, and I've done my back in so I'm lying on my back. So back to where I was before I uh, when I was sitting there with a broken broken hip but this time it's not so bad anyway uh so we're going to be talking about uh the knowledge graph and uh we've got a really good panel of experts and not only a great panel of experts uh, a lively panel of experts as well so uh, i'm i'm going to enjoy the next 45 minutes i think um why don't we start with you paige tell us about yourself where do you come from
2: uh so my name is paige obviously i am as of today head of seo at the agency roast Uh, oh congratulations (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, So I've been there, I think, over six years now. Started as an SEO exec, moved my way up the... Other positions over the years and i've really been able to to make our seo department what i want it to be but yeah so i'm really excited to join you guys today um i helped publish a set features glossary a few years ago that got me on brighton seo so i'm really hoping to be able to chuck in some helpful comments about cert features today fantastic
0: hannah on the uh, on the new blood because i'm counting you guys as the youngsters of the uh, of this of the of the group um, <laughs> Tell us about yourself and where do you come from?
3: I was actually wondering which side of the team I was falling on. I feel very old today.
0: Nah, you're um, young. You're young. <laughs> Me and Jason are on the old side. I don't know about David in the middle there. So no.
3: <laughs> cool. So, hi, I'm Hannah. I am the managing director of an SEO agency called Vakir. Um, so, I've got about eight or nine years experience now in the industry doing all things SEO. I've gone to the dark side in running a team instead of being as hands-on. Um, but Knowledge Graph and Knowledge Panels and Google SERPs are really the thing that I'm most excited about in SEO. So I'm always game to dip back into it um, to chat more, especially with you guys. Super excited.
0: Fantastic. And thanks for coming in. Uh, appreciate it. David, tell us about yourself and where do you come from?
1: I think I think he's Dan.
0: Oh, sorry, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. David! (laughs) David's the producer. I'm sorry, Dan. (laughs) It's
4: all right. Nice to know where I'm needed. Um, So I'm Dan. I'm head of R&D Assault Agency. I, like Hannah, was also wondering which side of the old versus new fence I fell on. But at the risk of offending people, I just assumed I'd be on the old side. Um, Being head of R&D, my role encompasses everything from the top level, managing the teams through to product development, service development, breaking things, and all that in between. And outside of that, I also run a Russian new SEO website as well, russiansearchnews.com.
0: Wow. Okay. So you've got the Russian hat to go with on there as well. So uh, anybody that wears a Russian hat is uh, always scary in an SEO's eyes, I think. So, no. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on, Dan. And Jason, my old mucker, my old friend, and definitely, I'm afraid, on the old side of uh, of old guard, new blood. Who are you and where are you come from?
1: Well, I'm Jason Bunn. I'm young at heart, if I may make that point. You may, you may, you may. Thank you. I'm the Brand SERP guy. I'm obsessed by what appears when people Google your brand name. And that obviously includes the knowledge panel on the left hand side. I've had multiple wonderful discussions with Hannah about brand, oh, sorry, SERP features and with Paige as well. And Dan, we've had a couple of conversations about all, all of this stuff. And I'm really, really, really keen to talk about it. Um, one of my big obsessions recent, recently has been the knowledge graph and how Google fills its knowledge graph, how, it, um, how it's using it today in search. And I think it's phenomenally important. And if you're not looking at it today, you should be looking at it yesterday or something along those lines. Yeah,
0: so I was going to start by saying, what's the one thing, if, if everyone hasn't got, if if, if, if uh, all of the Majestic audience haven't got any time to go through the whole lot, what's the one thing that they want to take away from today? Um, and I guess your, your point is, if you're not looking at the knowledge graph, you really need to be. Uh, is that fair?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think um, recent updates have pointed towards the fact that Google is pushing the knowledge graph more and more into the actual fundamental results that it's producing. Uh, And if you're not looking at yourself and your brand as entities and your product as entities, and thinking about how that's represented in Google's mind, and we can look at Google's Knowledge Graph as being Google's mind, Google's understanding of the world, if you're not looking at that today, you really should have been looking at it yesterday. Brilliant. That was what okay. I was going to say earlier yeah. on. That sounds better, doesn't that it?
0: Sounds <laughs> it sounds great. No, no, no. And 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 uh, all the rest of you as well. If there's one thing that people should take away about knowledge graphs, um, is there any one thing to stand out if they haven't got time to get to listen to the whole session?
3: I guess for me, my thing whenever I'm talking about knowledge graph is just think of it like it's a trust signal. So you need to think of it the way you think of any form of like brand activity that you're doing. So. You can't game it the same way that like you used to be able to buy some links and suddenly rank. Like It's actually about just being the best um, and having all of those signals really clearly. So I think for me, if you're not going to do anything and listen to the rest of it, the thing is just build a really great brand because by doing all of those things, technically, you should become part of the knowledge graph anyway.
0: Paige, do you want to jump in with something?
3: I think the one thing that I'd love people to take away from
2: this is that a knowledge graph and a knowledge panel are two separate things because I'm all about using the right terminology. We have so many different ways of describing things in SEO. Just understanding what you're talking about is my number one tip.
0: Excellent. We will come back to that. I absolutely promise you. David, one thing. One thing that they can take away. Dan. Dan. David, Dan. You're all the
4: same. (laughs) <laughs> I think what really help here is if I actually had um, my own place in the knowledge graph so that you could relate a little bit better. My panel. I think this is a justification for why I need a panel. Um so I think not wanting to echo everyone else has said, I'd also probably say that when clients talk about the knowledge graph or when especially internal some internal teams get wind of what a knowledge graph actually is, not to see it as a strategy or a tactic or something that has to be an end goal of an SEO campaign. It's an end goal of accumulation of a large number of omnichannel activities and isn't an SEO strategy per se something that comes about from existing in the wider ecosystem.
0: That's really good. Okay, well, on, on, on that. And and uh, okay, yeah, well, Jason, why don't you we'll come back on that?
1: Sorry, I, I just wanted to add to that. I mean, I love the the channel idea is because it's not just Google, all of the big tech industry or the big tech companies, excuse me, have knowledge graphs, and they're all trying to build this understanding of the world. And these knowledge graphs are simply their understanding of the world. And if you look at Facebook, or Twitter, or Amazon, or Google, or Bing, they're all building these knowledge, knowledge graphs. And if you're doing an omni-channel uh, approach, you're liable to, and a branded one, which Hannah was saying, you're liable to correctly inform, correctly educate these machines to understand who you are, what you do, and who your audience is. And that's the key. I,
0: I think that's where I wanted to go next then, because there is more than one knowledge graph in the world, isn't there? So um, I, I think uh, when we hear the word knowledge graph, we're thinking about Google's knowledge graph, um, but as you say, there, there are lots and lots of different knowledge graphs. So, I mean, uh, Wikipedia, for example, is is effectively a knowledge graph. I, I see knowledge graph, you can correct me if I'm wrong, as a an encyclopedia, a, a database-driven encyclopedia, basically. It's a database with a lot of different ideas. Is that right? I mean, are there, are there any other uh, knowledge graphs that you think are particularly important beyond Google, just to get our minds stretching a little bit sideways on?
1: Well, I think all, all of, as I said, all the, all the big tech companies are building knowledge graphs. And I think, I mean, Wikipedia is a great example, and your your way of saying it, it's an encyclopedia for machines. Uh, It's incredibly, incredibly powerful, and as humans, it helps us to understand what we're looking at. Um, And all of them are building knowledge graphs from similar sources, and that is Wikipedia, Wikidata, DBpedia, uh, the Open Graph, uh, and and our own websites, which we should not Mm. forget. So, in fact, all our websites are actually mini knowledge graphs. that that describe, Mm. that contain all of the information about us, who we are what we do and and what we offer to our audience, i.e. who we serve. And if we can communicate our little internal knowledge graph to these other knowledge graphs, we're going to benefit significantly short, middle and long term. So what then is the
0: page, the difference between the knowledge graph and uh, the knowledge panel?
2: Yeah, so obviously, I think you've already covered the knowledge graph is a database. I think it's a really unhelpful name to call it a knowledge graph, because then people think that it's a graph, it's a visual thing, when actually, it's a database, it's Google's brain, it's what it knows to be true in the background of all these cert features that actually exist visually. It's that background of information. Um, so that is the knowledge graph, is, is that big database, is all that information. The knowledge panel is something that Jason has spent his life looking at, and that is your kind of right rail, if I will use your uh, your language, unless, unless you're on mobile, and then there is no right rail. Um, but it's that kind of panel on the, on the right-hand side, usually on desktop, that talks about you, and it's all that information about a brand or a person or a thing, and that is, that is like the manifestation of the knowledge graph.
1: Can I just interrupt and say um, that the, the desktop mobile distinction is really important because obviously, we all use mobile, or a lot of mobile is being used, but the knowledge panel gets mixed up in all the other results. And the reason that I tend to focus on desktop and I talk about the right rail, which is actually what Bing calls it. When I was talking to Nathan Chalmers from Bing, he was saying, oh, on the right rail, and I was going, oh, that's a really cool phrase, so I stole it. Um, But the desktop actually allows us to visually see very clearly that the right rail is fact, what Google considers to be fact, and Bing for that matter, Nathan, sorry, and the left rail is much more Google's opinion about what the best solution to your problem might be. So left-hand side, recommendation, opinion, right-hand side, fact. And if you look at it that way, it becomes much easier to distinguish in your brain.
2: Yeah and then we've got those extra things that are now coming into the serps which is these hybrid knowledge panels that also integrate Google my business and sometimes they're separate panels sometimes they're merge panels and it's all very exciting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so that that whole idea of fact then um does that mean that if Google gets its facts wrong um how 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 messed up is the world going to get? Because um, it's very—I I re- I remember doing something uh, a long time back uh, about knowledge graph bias and uh, the idea that you know, if if there's a small seed fact that's wrong, that can start manifesting itself as it starts to learn from that fact and and, and develop it. So, uh, and and some things are are really. Um, you know, to this day, it's happened all through society. You know, I, I I did a I remember doing something about pirates and why do pirates have um, eye patches? And of course, we all think that our pirates have eye patches because they had lost an eye shot out by a, a fellow pirateer somewhere. Um, but in actual fact, it's so that when they went under uh, under decks, so because they were in a bright light, so that they could be adjusting to the light, so they could see under under the decks uh, a lot quicker. Well, that's obvious when you know it, but society has skewed that fact and and, and gone away. So uh, going back to my my original question then, guys, is um, how often does the the knowledge graph go wrong and how wrong can it get?
4: I think oftentimes, especially when Google was in the phases of building out its knowledge graph and taking data from DMARS, Wikipedia, and other sources, the propensity for it to go wrong probably went wrong a lot more. And we saw that with how it did image annotate annotations, how it returned certain search results around sensitive queries, because it was just using the data fed in as original sets to produce SERP augmentations or other results around that. Now it's had much longer to build out and almost concrete, more concrete, not ethics, but, a borderline of yes, no, based on all the data processing, the propensity for it to actually go wrong is lessened. We still will see it for queries or new emerging queries, especially around. And when we see it when people make up new words and new brands, and I hear it when I'm just really sound old here, but when young people start speaking words which don't mean anything or mean something very different, there's going to be the lack of evolution of language as it's progressed, and that's going to then. In, impact and influence how Google processes the search results. One example I've always had working in a lot of tech is WAF. So web application firewall for most of the world is web application firewall, apart from in Northern Texas, where it's actually an acronym for the church of something like Augustus Famagusta or something. So it completely changes. And it changes around religious festival times as to what the meaning is. So we need to understand that it's feeding off the data that we input it, and as we correct it, there's going to be, I think as Paul Hart puts it in all these sorts post-retrieval adjustments based on, yeah, that's not right, that's wrong, and it's going to have to start doing those fixes, but over time as it builds, it will get better at not making the same mistakes. Mm. Hannah, any, any thoughts on that?
3: Mine wasn't a thought, but just to add on to what Dan was saying, is that that whole post-retrieval, like, fixes for stuff that's gone wrong. Like the best thing as a user or a brand you can be doing is like giving feedback. So all of Google's knowledge panel features allow you to feedback on if it was factually right or not. Um, And I would just say that the best thing to be doing is to keep feeding that machine. Um, I know some people don't think that they don't really want Google to take over the world and they don't want to provide that information, but that's the only way it's going to get better. Um, But I'd say the same in the sense that we really, it's only emerging trends that we see it really getting it wrong. I think Bing used to, and I don't know if they're still doing it anymore, test having a like yes and no almost in their knowledge panels. Um, So if an argument had two sides to it, they would show both um, to stop really pushing a bias. I'd love to see Google start doing things like that, but I just think it kind of, doesn't fit with the knowledge graph approach of things having to be fact or not fact.
0: I, I, I both of those points, I think, are really, really crucial points. I think the, the, the giving feedback to the knowledge graph, I absolutely agree. There's a human at the other end of that. There's a team of humans that are trying to improve their knowledge graph. Uh, <clears throat> at least I assume there's humans there. Maybe it's all done by machine. But uh, I, I genuinely believe that humans there are checking whether this the, this knowledge is uh, and and the great thing about the the feedback button is that a human cares about it, so it's a reason for somebody to pay attention at Google to that particular result scenario entity than any other entities so it gives them priority in which they need to be fixing things so if all of a sudden there's a storm in the philippines and everybody's talking about typhoons and storms and uh, and uh, uh, and and manila and things like that then all of a sudden they need to start paying attention to weather systems in philippines as part of their their um topic sort of verification stuff. So I think that's really, really uh, good um, uh, piece of feedback. And the second point that you made where I think um, uh, you say, you know, people don't like that Google is taking over the world. I think there's an interesting debate to be had there because it's a dilemma for us as SEOs in that our job is to get the customer's psyche into our ecosystem or our clients' ecosystem isn't it? But the problem with the knowledge graph is that the knowledge graph is also trying to get the customers' psyche into the knowledge graphs ecosystem. So is there a is there a dilemma for us as SEOs um, when we're trying to feed the knowledge graph in the long term we may be damaging ourselves or do we need to change our business models to get around that because that's coming anyway?
4: If, if I interpreted that correctly, I think to an extent the activities we should be doing as SEOs in driving traffic as both relevant and useful for the site should be positively impacting the knowledge graph because as well as, as part Google will be processing as part of the, the knowledge graph when people search for a brand X, also what modifiers and compounds they wrap around that brand. So with more people searching for I don't know, uh, my brain's just completely gone blank of everything, what have I got? I've got Napolina olives. So if people are searching for Napolina more and more and more as you're going on, and you start saying Napolina olives, Napolina green olives, Napolina pitted green olives, Napolina queen olives, eventually it's going to make the, the association between the D entities of olive and Napolina to the extent where if you're searching for olives, be, Google will be able to go, ah, oh, I mean, Napolina, is Napolina a good result to show here, and then it will augment the search results accordingly. So through how we build out, I mean, we'll be, for most of us, we'll probably be doing this subconsciously, but by building out relevant branded compounds and trying to match compounds to branded search, we're feeding the knowledge graph in that way.
1: Jason, do you have something in there? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the fundamentally most important thing that we often forget is it's, it's up to us to educate these machines. If we're clear about who we are as a brand, what it is we offer, and who we're going to offer it to, um, we're we're going to benefit long-term. And once again, it's not just Google, it's all of these big tech companies. And the second thing is Google's now pushing out Discover, which is a push technology uh, with the idea of pull. I, I search for something, I'm looking for it. Google can react to my search and send me or give me the results that it thinks are the best response to my query, the solution to my problem. With Discover, it's saying, I know Jason Barnard is interested in the double base. I will push content towards him through Discover in a very social media manner, if you like, which Jez Schultz is the person who was talking about that a great deal. It needs to understand who I am and what I do and who my audience is in order to be able to do that. And it's up to me to educate it. And if we start <laughs> educating Google, Bing, Yahoo, um, Apple, ooh, Apple as well, obviously, Facebook, Twitter, all of these big, big tech companies, they will be able to better present our offers to their users. And our audience don't ever forget is simply a subset of their users. So if you approach it from that point of view, you go back to Dan's point early on is multi-channel, don't rely just on Google feed all of these machines. Do it yeah. across them all and do it in a consistent manner because they will all get it and you will probably not get as much benefit and profit as you would have got in the past by cheating the algorithm. But perhaps by building a branded, as Hannah said, strategy on the channel, as Dan said, you're going to make a better business for yourself, both because you're hitting all these different channels, but also because you're serving your clients and your brand much, much better. To push the
0: point a little bit more, um, so I want to become the world's greatest authority on, uh, I don't know... um, parks in Bedfordshire because that's where I am right now and you know so so uh so I want to do that so I write the ultimate fantastic article website um and maybe have a charity called parks in Bedfordshire all set up running around creating this brand for parks in Bedfordshire and talking about it and then um uh, my question is, am I not leading up to the point where Google – somebody sits there and says, what's the, what's the best parks in Bed- Bedfordshire? And instead of Google saying, oh, you want to go to parks in Bedfordshire charity, um, here's, here it'll say instead – The 510 best parks in Bedfordshire are this, this, this and this because of this, this and this. And it's going to have more information than my stuff because it's going to have it from other people's as well. And it's not going to give any citation or any importance or it's basically going to take the information, hold it for itself and not give anybody the love. It's just going to sit there and say, I'll tell you as long as you use Google's device to get you to the park.
2: But then that's all down to intent mapping, isn't it? Like for those users, it would make sense that it's a maps listing with all these locations because I want to know where to go. I'm going to go there. It's in my maps. uh, That's what I want. Your, Your website might not be relevant for that intent. And I think Google's just trying to be a bit smarter about it and give you the result that you need as a user. You might find that actually if you're a charity that you're going after certain other types of queries. I think there's a lot of cert features out there that are fed off of, like like featured snippets are self-fulfilling. If you ask it, I think Emily Potter did a really good uh, talk on if you say, are reptiles good pets for kids? the feature snippet will say, yes, they're really good pets for kids. If you Google, are they bad for kids? The feature <laughs> snippet will be like, yeah, they're really bad for kids. Um, so there's different search features for different things. The knowledge graph and the knowledge panel should just be facts. And that I think that's hopefully not going to change anytime soon. Sorry, Hannah, I think you were going to pop in with something as well.
3: I actually, I feel like you said what I wanted to say, just a lot more that. <laughs> but I think like, just... Your example, like we we work for a large park organization um, who have that exact same problem. And I think what we always say is like, well, what do you actually want to do? Because you want your user to get the right information. And like if you are selfish enough as a brand that you think that user can only get fact from you, then you probably need to reassess what your business model is. Like, why do you want to be the authority on parks? Is it because you love the parks? In which case, surely someone finding out that information whatever way they do is good for you. And is it that you want to get donations? In which case, someone should find out more information about the park, get the information, become passionate about it, and then they will donate when they enjoy the park. So it shouldn't actually ruin your business in any way if you're using it in the right way.
0: That's okay, as long as you're... um your, your mission is to get people to go and see the parks. if your mission is to try and re- provide research with no material uh, benefit um, so history may have get lost in, in this because there may be no historian that wants to say their story now because um, because it'll just become a historical fact. Or fiction, if the knowledge graph is, uh, is, is is going in the wrong direction, and all of a sudden we can choose who won a war depending on what the public say, um, I I just I just worry with or play devil's advocate to say you know that that um, that alternate realities and truths may be lost because there is nobody with an incentive to um, provide unbiased facts anymore. Um, there has always got to be a, a reason for providing the fact in the first place. And maybe that was always the case. Maybe we always only said something if there was some, some, some value to it.
1: That's a philosophical debate. I mean, I, I kind of get the feeling here today we're on a, a commercial branded debate of saying, how Sorry, can I, I can actually make the most the of the, <laughs> the knowledge graph for my brand? And What Hannah says is absolutely on the nose, on the nail. I don't know which one it is. Um, if, if you're relying on providing information to users through Google, Whatever you do, Google's going to go that way. You need to rethink what it is you're doing. And it's not too late. So, you know, luckily you can now sit there and think, okay, what is my business model going forward if Google does take all this data and people no longer come to my website? What is it I can do? And I loved Hannah's example of saying, actually, if Google gives them all the information, they end up coming to your park and donating. It saves you all the legwork. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. that's good. I'll Maybe. I'm just terribly naive and optimistic. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah sorry do you want to come back on that or just
0: uh, happy with that hannah shall i move on
3: well i'd love to the way we explain it to clients i think going back to the question at the start on like the difference between knowledge graph and knowledge panels we always explain it to um clients as like this is like index cards so when you're revising for a test at school and you're studying quite often you go through a book right And in that book, you post it, the important points. And then you take those post-its and you put them on a wall and you like map them out. And you're like, that bit's interesting. It connects like this. So imagine the wall with all your post-its on and your notes is the knowledge graph. And those post-its are the panels. But when you think of it like that, you still had to read the book. And if the book is your website, like you still have to go and get the full story and the full information. You're not going to piece together a whole narrative on a topic you're interested in from just one single fact that is appearing directly in a knowledge panel or from the knowledge graph. So instead, just think of it as like teasers to the rest of the information that you can provide. So if you are purely a publisher, like an historian publishing facts, Like, all you're doing by helping and feeding that information to Google is helping people see snippets of those facts to then go and find out the bigger picture. You're not giving away the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. And let's
2: face it, history has always been biased. Like, it's written by the victors. So if anything, it should be more unbiased than it's ever been in all of our history because anyone can contribute.
0: So, but Hannah Hannah made the point earlier on was a really good idea and Bing did it. I've seen Bing do it in presentations. I don't see them do it in actual real life. And I wish they did when, when something has got two opinions, having the, uh, yeah, you know, the the, um, the opinion A, opinion B, side by side. I would love to see that more in in uh, in Bing, and I think that would be a, a and, and in Google if they were able to do that. But I think that juxtaposition in, in today's society is a is a good thing to do. But let's get back to commercial brass tacks and uh, away from the philosophy. It's just my way for a while. So okay, so um. Uh, what, what, are, what is it then that Google are doing practically with their knowledge graph right now that, you know, you mentioned um, Discover, which is for those who are on iPhones, it's on the Android app and it kind of says, I know that you're interested in hitchh- hitchhiking, in hiking, so I'm going to show you some stuff on hiking, uh, Jason. But are there any other clear examples maybe, um, you know, beyond the knowledge panel or within the knowledge panel where it's clear that Google is leveraging its knowledge graph that we can we can hang our hats on and go to our bosses and say, yeah, we need to pay attention to the knowledge graph because this. Any, uh, any other examples that we can jump out at?
2: There's a really helpful glossary on Google that's by this company called Roast. Um, it's got about 40 odd search <laughs> features on it. Um, but we actually say like, is it powered by the knowledge graph or not? because okay. then it really helps you understand which ones you can impact and which ones you can't and sometimes there's stuff like um knowledge cards which is something like how old's the queen knowledge card she's this old you're not gonna ever beat that that intent is met that's probably contributing to a zero click search that we all know on the rise but fine like were you gonna get that traffic anyway was that very valuable for you be, but, but just being aware that these things exist really helps you kind of hone in on your keyword research. If you know that like half of your keywords have a knowledge card, maybe you need to go after something else.
0: So, big advert for Roast. what's that called? What's that report called?
2: Oh, it's the cert features glossary. It's getting a reskin soon. So, it's pretty, okay. it's pretty ugly right now, but it's still well, very good. <laughs> a
0: nice big plug for it from Majestic. So, that's it. Okay.
1: The cert features that are driven by the knowledge graph or have the knowledge graph participating, I think, are often underestimated. Uh, Things like people also ask, for example, uh, Google and Brand SERPs in particular, will only really put those up when it's already understand who the brand is, what they do, and what questions people are asking around that brand. It cannot identify which questions are being asked around the brand without understanding the brand itself. So that's a really good clue. But the other point is that it's actually got multiple power um, verticals, including Google My Business. And Google My Business is, in fact, Google Maps is, in fact, a massive knowledge graph. And it has been said by Bill Sklowski, that was just a proof of concept. And I say, for a proof of concept, that's phenomenally impressive. But it was just a proof of concept of how the knowledge graph will function in the wider world, wider still than Google My Business and Google Maps. And if you look at it from that perspective, you say, well, actually, what Google is now going to start doing, as I've already started doing from my uh, investigations and experiments, is move entities, Google My Businesses, into the knowledge graph proper and start to fill Google My Business with knowledge that it is imposing on the business. So longer term, you end up in a situation where even Google My Business, you can suggest, you cannot control because it's going to be fact as Google sees it. So we're going towards that idea. And from that perspective, I think it's a very healthy way to start thinking today I need to make sure that Google understands who I am. And I can start at the top with my brand, who am I? Then I say, what do I do? What products do I sell? What offers do I have? What solutions can I offer to Google's users who are my audience? And thirdly, who is that audience? And at what point and at which moments can Google potentially offer me as a great solution to its users? when they're searching on Google, or even in the case of Discover, when they're not searching on Google, and Google bullies them into coming to my website.
4: Just to kind of um, add to Jason's kind of point there with how Google My Business is moving into more of a knowledge graph, that is something that Yandex have been doing with their knowledge graph over the past two, three months, to the point uh, last week they actually introduced a new feature which enables people to actually contribute to whether or not routes are walkable or not. Um, Not just with all the normal cartographer lines and how steep things are, just more a case of, can I cycle this route or not? Yes, you can. No, it's a canyon. Don't be crazy. But you can't always see that on the map. So I've already started to integrate elements with that. In my Brighton talk in January, February this year, I actually also covered off just how parts of the Knowledge Graph are now just augmenting different parts of search. Because when we think of search, oftentimes it's just classed as the linear search bar not actually the fact that images, video, news, all the other kind of products encompassed in the same ecosystem. So we've seen from experiments where Google's using better image classification, recognition, and annotation to actually identify relationships between different elements just basically by image. Now, we've been putting images out onto the internet since dot. And um, we've never really controlled it, thought about it. It's the amount of information Google is able to harness and harvest from that, and not just the written word, means it's been able to amplify and power relationships between certain things. And we can see that now through image uh, classification tags. When you do an image search, we're we'll starting to see that being pulled through into things like the Google travel feature. And also just how it generally augments search results from if someone types in a generic query with multiple common interpretations, which doesn't have a direct buy or go intent, you'll get a mixture of commercial results. You'll get a mixture of blogs, you'll get a map pack. And it's bringing you through other cert features, but other results also based on, not just on intent, but how it's trying to map out a diversified search to meet my intent. And sometimes when you look at this and you are oh, around right, top three for this keyword, and it's literally a case of, Sorry, you can't because Google doesn't itself know what it knows what it actually wants to rank there. It's probably actively doing experiments now because itself doesn't know what is in the top three. We can challenge for it, but let's not hang a hat on it as being a make or break. Interesting stuff.
0: Uh, it's uh, does this mean that um, that that there's also a massive market i mean i guess zapier is it really a marketplace where connecting these different types of knowledge graph whether it's you know all trails or maps or or images i mean obviously google has loads and loads of different knowledge graphs or knowledge systems google my business all these different things that are in within its own ecosystem do you think there's um mileage in uh in other organisations trying to connect other types of graphs together using using connectors, so that you can build up a very quick knowledge graph by taking all the postcodes in the UK and mapping it onto I don't know all the all the roads in the UK or so, I don't know doing doing things like that. So you take disparate diff- data sets owned by different people and connect connect the dots um, to suddenly expand a, 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 a and create a super knowledge graph. Is that something potentially feasible? Or have I just gone into philosophy again?
2: <laughs> I think if we're going to put our commercial hat on, it's—is that going to make you money? Is it going to be of use to your users to do that? So, like, I guess Zoopla have um, a page for every street in the UK, so they have to have that that huge database. But other companies probably don't need that amount of information. Sorry, Jason, you're about to say something.
1: Oh right, no, no, no. I, I think I, mean, I was going to basically say. Yes, I mean, if, if if you're a massive company, that would be useful. But if you look at it as, oh, it will be useful because I will then be able to rank in Google, you're probably wasting your time. It needs to be useful <laughs> for your company, for your brand, yeah. and for yeah. your business no, model. No, I'm not thinking, you, yeah, yeah. Okay, go on. Well, I was, I was going to say, if you do it for Google, basically you accumulate all this information, you sort through it all, and you give it out onto the web, you're doing what you were talking about earlier on, which is feeding you Google. information, and then you get bypassed. So that's not a business model. For me, yeah. that's not a way forward. Uh, let Google do the heavy lifting and and get on with a proper business where you're actually offering something valuable to your clients. I've got, I was going to say, a good example of this, which I've used with a client before,
4: because they've talked about, actually said about, well, why don't we build our own knowledge graph of these products? And I'm like, just Google the top 100 list and you've done it. And Google's <laughs> already got it. But we, in the UK, we obviously have a Met Office who produce weather forecasts now i did a poll on twitter a couple of months ago i'm using this data for something else but essentially like what what is people's perception of the accuracy of uk weather forecast i mean we're british we'd love to talk about the weather so why not and 65 percent of people in this poll of about 900 actually came out and said well it's about 60 percent or less But in reality, our Met Office has actually got 92% accuracy within 10 days. But the public perception is bad. Now, the reason why no one's ever created a separate graph or separate knowledge base to collect all that data is because there is no commercial benefit to it. Apple doing all the research to produce all that just so they could appear for 30 seconds on ITV ahead of other channels available, ahead of, I don't know, someone pointing in front of a rain cloud, there's no benefit for them with that level of investment. Mm-hmm. cool all
0: right okay so i want to come on i'm nearly nearly at time already because these things fly these events so hmm. uh, uh, so i want to um finish up with some uh factual tips or good tips that we can do to influence our knowledge graph so how can we get our brand our product whatever it is that we want to you know our our our, our, our message into knowledge graph some tips please for, for from each of you who wants to go first on that one i'll let jason go last because he'll have a thousand other ones that will fill God. it on him <laughs> <in>. yeah tana <laughs> do you want to go in
2: i'll go if oh, okay. No, okay. No, Yeah, go i was just going to say something something as simple as like organizational schema is always a good place to start just to help Google really clearly understand what your business is, what its name is, what its other names might be, what it is as an as an entity.
0: Schema, <laughs> so basically schema is is yeah. important for influencing the knowledge graph. It's a, a good good number one tip. Okay, anyone else want to jump in from that? Go on, Hada.
3: So mine would be authorship, like make pages about your authors publishing content, um, use schema on the authorship pages, link to everywhere else they write, build up profiles for your individuals. We do a lot in like medical and finance and author pages are literally the game changer every time in terms of knowledge graph um, and just proving that kind of trusted source that the information is coming from
0: so and and so is an author a person or an organization or both or either
3: it's a person because organizations don't have feelings and authors have feelings (laughs) like we get every all of our clients try and put their company wrote it because they think there's a long-term value behind it because then if a team member leaves or whatever but like that's not reality and people like to buy from people so in my eyes, like always go for an actual human first, ideally with a great LinkedIn profile um, and use all of their profiles together to build that. This is the person who works here. But I Jason, like the logic. I like
0: that logic. I like the logic as why an author should always be a person. That's a brilliant yeah. logic because they've got feelings and companies don't. That's
4: brill. <laughs> Dan, you want to throw something in? Yeah, I was going to say Hannah's point actually nicely segues into one I wanted to make a Matt's. This is where SEO blows the light, and we have to understand that with individuals becomes this goes back to your Bedfordshire parks thing earlier. Anyone on the internet can spin up an article about the best parks in X Y Z, but in order to actually become an authority on it, you need to do things to establish the eat facts. You need to establish expertise, authority, and trust in it to then have a regard to warrant certain things. And this is again where companies fall down in the sense that oh, this article's written by company. It's like, no, actually use people, create... But I think, like Anna said, people are, companies are afraid to do that because then you've almost given a value to an employee which is, intang- which is intangible to the brand. But in order to be successful with certain elements, you have to. So, yeah, it's not a strategy, but generally doing the Omni channel stuff and developing the reason to become an expert and, gain, and to gain an entity placement, to gain a place in so knowledge graph is... I
0: don't know which who who was that said uh, a company is uh, is is just just the sum of its people, but um, never more has it been true than, than this discussion here. Jason, do you want to finish off with some uh, some tips and suggestions? Because I know you've got a thousand different data sources that can feed the knowledge graph.
1: Right. Well, I've I've, <laughs> I've been doing looking at this for the last seven years and and getting terribly geeky about it. And I built CaliCube Pro. Um, And I've got a data set of 70,000 brands and people, and brand SERPs and knowledge graph API results from three or four years back. So I've got masses of data. And one thing that struck me this year is John Mueller from Google started talking about reconciliation. And the biggest problem that the machine has is that the data about us, the information about us, our entities, our company, our people, our products is fragmented. And the machine has enormous amounts of Trouble bringing it all together into kind of one cohesive unit. And my argument there, and in fact, John Mueller said it, but he didn't use the term entity home, is say you have an entity yourself, your company, your product, it doesn't matter, your podcast. Give it a home, give it a page on your website that is dedicated to that entity. And you state on that page exactly what the entity is, what it does, what it offers, and who the audience is going to be. And from there, what Google then does is it uses that as the reconciliation source. So it maps all the fragmented information around the web to that from the horse's mouth source. So Google is looking for you to tell it who you are, what you're doing, who your audience is. If you tell it clearly and use schema markup as Paige rightfully said, and it can then reconcile that information with all the information, the fragmented information around the web, including cats in front of Dan, and it can reconcile that information and it all makes sense and it all maps out for the machine. The machine will understand. And I've got a really good example to to finish with. The Knowledge Graph API returns what we call, I call, a confidence score. Now, the confidence score for somebody who has a Wikipedia article, we were talking about Wikipedia earlier on, will stay at about 46 to 100 if there is no entity home. As soon as you create an entity home and you map that Wikipedia page to an entity home that is owned by the entity itself, that confidence score, i.e. the confidence that Google has in the understanding of that information, even from Wikipedia, goes from 46 to 500 to 1,000. So the confidence Mm. multiplies multifold as (laughs) soon as Google has the horse's mouth to listen to. So be the horse. Talk to Google. Brilliant. So we've got
0: some great takeaways, I think. Firstly... The web is written by humans, not machines. Um, or rather, when it is written by humans, they've got feelings, and that's an important part of the uh, the infrastructure. I like that. Um, we'd love to see more balanced uh, balanced opinions in the knowledge graph coming out. Some some maybe kind of uh, uh, opinions would be be lovely. Schema is a definite must. Uh, don't just create a data source um, and connect data sources unless you've got a business product around it um, and uh, understand your obviously understand your own serps and uh, and talk to Jason uh, about that and talk to uh, Paige about the uh, serp glossary um, and uh, thank you ever so much everyone for coming on but before I give everyone a chance to uh, to follow up with you if they want to um, David my producer could you come back on and uh, uh, and tell us what's happening next week or if there's anything I've missed Absolutely. Um, so great discussion today as always. Um, I just want to say quickly that um, if you're watching us live, we are of course syndicated across Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you want to subscribe to the show in audio form only, make sure you subscribe there. Um, if you are currently listening then make sure you try and sign up and actually participate or at least listen to the next one live. Um, Go to majestic.com slash webinars. The next one is going to be episode 18. That's going to be on Wednesday the 7th of July. The topic for that one will be SEO for WordPress. We've already got a couple of guests booked, including John Alderson from Yoast and Keith Devon from Highrise Digital. Wednesday the 7th of July for the next episode. Fantastic, and thanks again to the guys at Majestic for making all this happen. So, guys, before we leave, um, where can people find out about you, and where can they follow up with you on Twitter, homepage? Where is your where is your entity's home page?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, we are Roast Agency is where you can find my uh, my agency. But I am on Twitter at page Hobart. I've already tweeted the glossary if anyone's looking for it, so you can go find it on okay. my Twitter page. Okay,
4: uh, Dan. Sorry, she's just stopped me mean Um, yeah, uh, Salt salt.agency is where you can find us as an agency. You can find me on uh, Twitter, um, Taylor Dan R W, and also at RussianSearchNews.com. Thank you
1: very much. And uh, Jason. Yeah, I'm I'm on CaliCube Pro. Um, basically, I built the platform to do what I just said, which is define your entity, home, create the schema markup, corroborate, point it out help the, the, the machine to, to bring all that fragmented information together. So I go along to CaliCube um, Pro. I also do gazillions of silly experiments on yellow koalas and blue dogs and various other things, uh, and I post them to Twitter. Twitter's my favorite place for posting silly experiments on the Knowledge Graph. So if you're interested in that, follow me on Twitter, and you will um, regret it for the rest of your days. And Hannah?
3: Cool. Uh, we are vakir.co. Vikir, which is the Dutch word for traffic, um, if you can't remember it. So we obviously have no entity recognition because we've chosen that name. Um, And you can find me on Twitter. I am Hannah J. Thorpe, um, and that's always the best way to reach me if you've got questions or you want to argue about entity stuff.
0: So so great. Uh, that's this has been fantastic. I've loved every minute of the last forty-five, nearly fifty minutes now. Thank you ever so much for coming on, guys. Uh, I hope when David gets this up on podcasts and stuff, you'll you'll tweet it out because I think this has been a a really great session. And uh, I'll see Brilliant. everybody out in internet land uh, next month for the uh, for the next uh, majestic uh, show of uh, old guard versus new blood. Thanks very much, mm-hmm. everyone cheers see you all next time bye bye have fun
3: thanks dixon bye thank you bye